Well, we're going to be in John chapter 1 today. We've been looking in God's Word in John, so we're up to chapter 17. John chapter 17, I mean. And uh, we're under the uh, uh, series title, Before I Go, because these are words that Jesus wanted to share with His disciples. They've just finished uh, the Passover meal together, which turned out to be the Last Supper. And uh, Jesus is taking time to explain things to the disciples, and then He takes time to actually pray uh, with them and for them out loud. It's Jesus praying for the ones He loves. He's praying for you. Jesus is in love with you. And uh, this is the longest prayer in the Bible, both two ways. It's the longest in length, but it's also the one that covers the longest span of time. So I'm going to tell you where Jesus' prayers can be found in the Bible. And if you want to, get ready to write, because uh, you can write down some references and check on them later. But there are 19 prayers, specific prayers in the Bible from Jesus, nine of them in Matthew, seven of them in Luke, and then three in John. And so in Matthew, are you ready? They're in chapters 11, 14, 15, 19, four times in chapter 26, and one prayer in chapter 27. In the book of Luke, they're in chapter 3, in chapter 6, two prayers in chapter 9, Luke 11, 22, and in 23. And then John, there's three. There's John chapter 11, where he's praying at the tomb of Lazarus, John chapter 12, and then this prayer <coughs> here in John 17. And we're going to be looking at the first half of this prayer today. And uh, then uh, Ron Klein, who's been part of HCJB radio station, will be our guest speaker next week. And uh, he will be uh, concluding what Jesus had to say in John 17. Uh, so John 17 really is the holy of holies of the book of John. And it's Jesus' high priestly prayer for us. When God acted on behalf of the children of Israel who were in slavery in Egypt, and they called out to him, cried out and said, please deliver us and save us, God acted to take them from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. After they got out of Egypt, they were in the wilderness, took them to Mount Sinai where he gave them the law so they would have order. And he also gave them directions about how to build a tabernacle, so that a house, it's a, like a portable church. It was a tent so that it could uh, be among his people. And then he gave them specific laws about the priests. In fact, there's over 700 references to priests in the Old Testament. And he established that the tribe of Levi uh, would be the priests. And so they're chapter after chapter giving directions to the priests. And there'd be one priest who would be the high priest who would bring the sacrifices uh, for the sin of the people. And first he would bring a sacrifice for his own sin, and then he would come into the holiest place in the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was and where they believed God resided, and he would bring a sacrifice in to uh, offer uh, a sacrifice for the sin of all the people. He came in with a rope tied around his leg in case the sacrifice was unacceptable, and God put him to death that they would be able to get his body back out of that place. But uh, God was just saying, not just anybody just shows up in my presence whenever they want to and uh, is going to live. And so he set it up that there would be a mediator between God and man, and that would be the high priest. And that's what Jesus is doing right here in John 17. He's praying for himself, and he's praying for his disciples, and he prays for his church. It's a prayer about God's glory all the glory that we can bring to God. In fact, the song we just sang uh, talks about a time in the temple where there was a crisis in the land, 
And uh, so Isaiah went to the temple to pray, and he saw the Lord, and he heard them singing, glory, glory, glory uh, to God, and uh, lifting him up, and uh, talking about how holy God is. And uh, this prayer is about us bringing glory to God. And uh, that's, uh, that's the desire of Jesus' prayer as well as the direction he gives, that our lives would bring glory to him. So Jesus pr first prays for himself, which it's okay to pray for yourself. And uh, Jesus didn't start by have, asking for forgiveness of sin because he had no sin. He was sinless. He prayed that he would be glorified. And that probably doesn't mean exactly what you might think it means right there. And he prayed for his disciples, that they would be protected and sanctified. And he prayed for the church, that we would be unified. So it's kind of like widening circles, like ripples in a pond, starting first with his own needs and then with a circle of people around him and then the church that's uh, out in the world over the centuries. So this prayer really, it's not like a term paper that you go A, B, C, D. It's really more like a symphony that has a recurring theme running through it. And uh, he prays about God's glory and how to bring God, glory to God. And the answer is, how do you bring glory to God? Obedience. Obey what God says in his word. And he prays about security, how he protects us and keeps us safe. He prays about maturity, that as we uh, spend more time being a believer, that we would be growing up in our faith and in our understanding. It doesn't happen just because you're getting older. You have to be intentional to say, I want to study God's Word, and I want to, to grow in my understanding, and not only in my knowledge, but in my love for the Lord. And he prays about our unity as believers, that we would be unified. So it says in John 17, verse 1, I'll start there. He said, when Jesus had spoken these words. Now, if you were to go back to what we looked at last week, you can actually find it on our website if you wanted. But uh, if you go back and read John 16, it says, I have said these things to you that in me you have peace, but in the world you will have tribulation. Take heart, I've overcome the world. And then he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he began this prayer. Father, the hour has now come. It's time. Now, numerous times during Jesus' ministry, he had said, my time has not yet come. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. He said that to his mother. John chapter 2, they're at a wedding together. The uh, uh, wedding, the bridal family is having somewhat of a crisis. They're at the reception, and they've run out of wine prematurely. And Jesus goes to his, or his mother comes to him and says, they have no wine. And he says, uh, you know, Mom, what does that have to do with me? My time has not yet come. But to honor his mother, he made him six barrels of wine just to be sure they wouldn't run out. In John chapter 7, his brothers come to mock him to say, hey, you want to be so great and famous, why don't you go show yourself to the world in Jerusalem at a feast? And Jesus said to his brothers, my time has not yet come. And uh, then with his enemies, they were trying to take his life in John 7 and 8, but he managed to escape them. And John explains, because his time had not yet come. But now the time has come. It's time. And he knows it. So it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. And he goes on to pray for you and for me. Jesus is praying for you. And we are an answer to his prayer when God is getting the glory. And the word glory is used eight times in this prayer. Jesus is very concerned about bringing glory to God. 
Bringing glory to God. Compare his prayer of saying, God, I want to glorify you. His whole focus is on God. It's on other versus so many of our prayers that are help me. Lord, I need one of these and two of those. And could you please help with this and heal this person and this. And all our prayers are, uh, uh, many of them are self-centered rather than being a God-centered. And Jesus gives us an example of a prayer here of even though he was facing the greatest crisis of his life, the deepest desire of his heart was to use his life to bring glory to God. To glorify something means to make it manifest or to show hidden values, to show hidden riches, to bring it out into the open, to show everyone. And Jesus went on to show his glory for us. You know how he did that? By the humiliation and the pain and the death on the cross. I mean, what better place is there to show what God is like than to get down in the trenches, down in the, the dirt of this world, down uh, all the way down to the cross, and to die among criminals so that he could cover your sin and mine with his blood. His love and his compassion is to show his glory to us throughout all eternity and to show his glory through us to the world around us, that we would reflect his glory to the world. And Jesus taught that the, the road to glory is obedience, that God's kind of obedience, it, it comes out of love, and that that's what motivated Jesus was love. It's really the greatest love story, that Jesus left, the, left heaven, set aside whatever it was necessary to be of, of his godness to become a full human being and being found in human form, the Bible says, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name. Jesus is talking to God the Father. He says, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Do you know how we bring glory to God? The same way. If you were to capture it in a sentence of here's how you give glory to God, it's to be able to say truthfully, I did everything God gave me to do. That's a glorious life. And that's what Jesus says here. I did everything, God, that you gave me to do. The work you gave me is complete. There were still hungry people that he hadn't fed. There were still hurting people that he hadn't healed. The disciples had heard the same messages over and over, but he said the work is complete. I've completed it. I'm passionate about this for me and for us as a church that we would be able to say the same. God, we have completed the work that you have given us to do. We have a great work before us to prepare this campus and to be a witness and to represent Christ and to win people to Jesus and to see them through the waters of believers' baptism and to grow up in their faith and to send people as missionaries and to be about the work of Christ through a local church and to be able to someday to look Jesus face to face in the eye and to say, we accomplished all that you gave us to do. It's done. Jesus was able to say that. He says, he says, I have, an, um, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Then verse 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He goes on here to explain a little bit about eternal life and what is eternal life. Verse 3, he said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's not how long your life is. It's not even how you live your life. It's who you live your life for. 
and the quality of life that you're going to live is determined by what did you do with Jesus? Did you have a relationship with Jesus because he was God come into this world? He's the one who leads us to the Father. And not everybody is going to heaven. Not everybody's going to have that eternal life in God's presence except those that know Jesus. That's why it's so important for us to tell them and to get the good news out there. And you hear Jesus is praying, here's what I did and here's what I want. And often we start in our prayers with, God, here's what I want, as if it's all up to God. But there's a part of it for us to do. And God has prepared in advance, the Bible says, good works for us to do. He gives them to us as gifts. It's time we open them and figure them out and do the things that he would want us to do. In verse 6, Jesus said, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know the truth, that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And Jesus is kind of giving God a summary of what he has already done, and it's what he's praying about. He says, I've revealed you to those that love you, to the disciples, and I've taught them to obey your word. Now, they didn't have the written word like we do. Some of them might not have even been able to read. The New Testament hadn't even been written yet, but John explained that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God. So every time he spoke, he was speaking God's Word to them. And he has revealed uh, God to them. He has given them God's Word. They know that Jesus came from God and that they, they believe that he was sent from God. He says in verse 11, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Because they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We see here that we are an answer to Jesus' prayer when God is getting the glory in our lives and in our church. Second, we are living in insecurity Thanks be to, to Jesus Christ. I mean, he protects us. We're living in an evil world. And he says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name and I, I guarded them. So how are we protected by Jesus? Well, it says in verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name. We are kept by the power of the name of Jesus. There's nothing that happens in our lives that was a surprise to him, nothing that comes our way that did not come through his hand. We're not protected from the world, but we're protected within the world. Because God's name represents his power and his character and his purpose. And we are the light of the world. We are to be here to shine and to share his good news with the people around us. Do you know when a, a kid needs help, they call out, Dad, Mom. About half the heads in the room turn then because half the people have gone by that name. But if they can't get their attention, then they'll even use their, their, their given name because they have the belief that their parents are able to do something about their needs. Our God is able to do something about your needs. 
How often have you talked to him this week and called on his name? How about today? You know, there's some people that go through a whole day without ever getting around to talking to God, without ever asking for his help. And at the end, they'll lie down, put their head on their pillow and think, oh, that was a pretty rough day. And you didn't have to do it that way. You didn't have to do it all by yourself. To call on God and just to make it a, make it a habit. Jesus did. Jesus prayed, God, protect them. Protect us from what? From the world that we live in. The world being the way people organize their lives without God in it. To protect us from the hatred and the danger that we'll face as believers because we are not of this world. People struggle with Christians because they stand for the truth. We want to know the truth. It's the truth that will set us free. It's the truth that we want to order our lives by. And the world isn't necessarily looking for the truth. In John 16, Jesus tells us that we can overcome the world. And in John 17, he promises that we will overcome the world as we just stay close to him. So he prays to protect us from Satan, from the evil one. He wants, why, you know why he wants to protect us? That we might be one, that we might be unified, that there would be unity among believers, which the church has really struggled with that in the last 2,000 years, haven't they? Jesus said, you know, love one another. That will be proof that you love me if you love one another. And we haven't done all that well as Christian people around the world, being unified and, and being one with the Lord. And uh, it's also he wants us to, uh, protected so that our joy, his joy can be on us in full measure, that nobody steals our joy. So we're an answer to Jesus' prayer when we're living in his joy, regardless what's going on in our lives, that we know we are sustained by him and by his strength and, and by his joy and his peace. And when we're working together towards uh, Christian unity. So in the middle of the world, the pressures and the darkness, God is here. And we shine as his lights in this world. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. We are an answer to Jesus' prayer when God is getting the glory in our lives, when we're living in security, and when we're growing in maturity. It's time we continue to grow in our faith. The whole process of big college words, sanctification. Sanctified to be separate or set apart for a specific purpose or for an intended use. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, but we're moving that direction to think about the Jesus and thinking his thoughts and becoming more like him and knowing his word and, and loving him more and thinking more uh, as the Lord would think. I mean, it's talking about growth. It's being used for the purpose that God left you here in this world. How is he going to sanctify us? We're sanctified when we say, God, use me. The answer is yes. However you want to do it, use me. Use me to show the world what God is like. We're sanctified by the truth. God's word is truth. It says that in, in there in verse 17. And when we let this book become part of our lives, we grow. That's why we have such an emphasis on it, for you to be reading God's word. We put out a little chart every two months of saying, here's how you could read all the way through in a year. And if you missed that, it doesn't matter. Go and find it on our website or just start in the book of Matthew or something and just start reading, getting God's word in your heart. D.L. Moody was a preacher who said, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And sanctification occurs as we learn and as we love and as we live God's word ourselves. Learn and love and live it. And when we look at Jesus' sacrifice and what he paid 
so that he could love us. It's not just the written word. We need to have that touch of Jesus. We need to have that sense, I'm growing closer to him and I love him. To think that Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for you. He prayed for me. And he's still praying for us right now. Jesus told them, I'm, I'm going to be seated next to God the Father and I'll be interceding on your behalf. That's what Paul said in Romans 8. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of, the, of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Kind of have this picture, you know, of two parents sitting there and they're irritated with their child and, and one parent is more vexed than the other and the other has that calm, non-anxious presence that every family needs to survive and, and gently puts the hand on the other one and says, now calm down a little bit, let me handle this, and intercedes. And that's what Jesus is doing for us with God. It says he's sitting at the right hand of God and he's interceding for us. Take it easy. I love those guys. I died for them. Let's let the Holy Spirit work in their hearts. Let's stay patient. And Jesus is praying for his glory to be part of our life, that we would recognize that to bring glory to God ourselves is to follow him in obedience, whatever he calls on us to do. So we are an answer to Jesus' prayer when God's getting the glory in our lives, when we're living in security, when we're growing in maturity, which we do that by reading his word and in prayer and with other believers and in serving him and in giving and in praying and in praising and in focusing our lives on the Lord, not just going about our own business. Fourth category is we're gaining unity. That brings glory to God. Verse 11, Jesus said, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you've given me that they may be one even as we are one. I'm not talking about all becoming one denomination or one worldwide church. Uh, I mean, there would be compromises in that. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Those things are external. He's talking about internal. We gain unity. We get closer to other believers as we grow closer to the Lord, the one we love. And the problem is some people fall in love with the way that they do church rather than falling in love with the people who are the church who God has called us to be. And if you're part of a church that's preaching the Bible, it's based on, on God's Word. If you're around people who love the Lord, those are the parts that matter. And Jesus' definition of unity here, that they may be one even as we are one. The result of true unity among believers is that the world will see Jesus in us. You know, I've had lots of people say, that church is such a pretty church. But when I came and visited, it was more beautiful on the inside than on the outside. I said, what are you talking about? They said, the people. The people of South Shores are so gracious and kind, they represent Christ. So those compliments are to your credit that they can see people who love the Lord, who are getting along with each other, who are caring about one another, and they sense the spirit of Christ in us at those moments. We're an answer to Jesus' prayer when God's getting the glory when we're living in security, when we're growing in maturity, and when we're gaining unity. And Jesus wants us to see his glory. It's kind of like on your birthday, if you get a new shirt, you want everybody to see it, you know, and, and, and to show it off because you're happy with it. And Jesus wants to show us off because he's happy with us. He's in love with you, and he wants you to be in heaven with him. And we as Christians have a certainty that we're going to heaven because it's in God's word. We're promised that Jesus paid the price. It says in John 3, 16, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
Jesus made the promise. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And then he prayed this prayer right here, verse 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you know God? Because is God going to answer Jesus' prayer? Of course he is. He's going to forgive us in this world and fill our lives with purpose to fulfill his plan, and he's got a spot for you in heaven. And heaven is not a spectator sport. I mean, the Bible says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that, we will be, that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. We who love God or are in love with Jesus will spend eternity in the presence of the one we love, who's loved us with the purest, everlasting love. You know, Valentine's Day is a great day to celebrate love, and I've enjoyed having my birthday on that day. In fact, I was hoping my mom would die on Valentine's Day uh, on my birthday because, well, she was born on Halloween, and it would seem like such an upgrade <laughs> to come in on Halloween and to go out on Valentine's Day. You know what I'm saying? And um, she and my dad met at Chafee College. He had grown up in Michigan in a very harsh family. His parents would argue a lot. He was convinced they were arguing about him, and somehow it was his fault. He got a job in, uh, he was born in 29, so in 37, he got a job at a little restaurant washing dishes, and they had a cot in the back room. They would let him sleep there. So he lived there most of the next 10 years in the restaurant. And um, after he graduated from high school, had been the student body president and an athlete, a little old lady needed a, her car driven to California. And he said, well, I could drive you to California. And he drove her car from Michigan out here to California and got to Ontario. And he looked around and he said, it's nice here. I, I could enjoy living here. It's free, white, and 18. So he thought, you know, I'm on my own. And went to Chafee College and he applied. And they said, school starts in a week. You have one chance in a thousand of getting in. He said, oh, I just need one seat. So they gave him a provisional, uh, uh, you know, allowed him to come as a provisional student for a semester. The next year, he ended up being student body, student body president, and he met my mom in a Spanish class. Well, the rest wasn't quite like history, like they say, because at some point, she finally introduced him to her parents who had an instant dislike for him. He never was going to be good enough. In fact, after they'd been married 25 years, my grandmother sent him a card that he kept and talked about a lot that said, to my favorite son-in-law. He was her only son-in-law. <laughs> so my parents then moved to San Jose State. Actually, my mom went to San Jose State. My dad had, uh, had started at Berkeley, but after two days, he went down. He said, I just miss you. Couldn't I come to school here with you? And so they both went to San Jose State and decided if we're going to be serious about each other, then we should be serious about God in our lives. Let's find a church that believes the Bible is God's word, and let's go there and hear it preached. And so they found First Baptist San Jose, which was walking distance from the campus in San Jose at the time. They committed their hearts to the Lord. They wanted to go be missionaries. Somebody said, you need to get seminary training. So my dad went to seminary, and there they were challenged, why don't you go into the military for a while and give back to God and country? So he became a chaplain. I happened to be born at that period of time. Could have been anywhere in the world, but it was Altus, Oklahoma which is a great place to be from, I guess. Um, I, I mean, I gained some weight, made some friends, left there. I was about 18 months old. So great place to, uh, to get started. And uh, then they ended up going as missionaries to Nigeria and uh, ended up pastoring several churches after that. And he was the pastor. She was the organist. They were always teaming up, always doing music together. And her parents, well, they wanted to get married in June. And... 
His parents came out from Michigan, and her parents, and I've seen all the pictures of my grandfather who died before I was born. He, there was never a smile. I never saw, him, never saw a smile on his face. He never seemed happy. But anyway, they did not want him to get married, so my parents tried to defer and wait. His parents got mad and left. And so it's kind of like average, you know, normal stuff. Finally, they got married in December. But every January or every June, Dad would say, Honey, it would have been this many years so when they were going to reach 40 years married, we said, let's throw the party in June. First off, they'll never see it coming because it's six months early. And second off, it'll be on the date they actually wanted. And so that's what we did. But every year, every month, he would count their month anniversary. They made it to 769 and three-fourths months. Pretty good. That's 64 years and two months in case you needed to do the math. But, you know, it, they ended up pointing, telling me at one point, we're going to give a tithe from our uh, modest estate to the church where we're members when we die. So I said, well, join South Shores. <laughs> no, no, I didn't laugh, and it wasn't a joke, and they did it. And so they were living out in the desert at the time, and so it was kind of reversed. And I said, now, since you're members, you really should show up at your church once in a while. And uh, so they would come here to church, and uh, Bob really blessed my parents. He had my mom direct the, the, the choir one time, kind of as an honorary, honorary director. And my dad was always pestering me, let me preach, let me preach, which was dangerous, but I did it several times. And uh, he did a good job and is still praising the Lord. And so now they have moved uh, to Tulare, and they live across the street from my brother Troy and his wife Sandy, and they're providing them good care, and they're still praising the Lord. So... It, uh, it, it is really a beautiful love story of two people that just, I mean, right to the last, just cared for each other and walked the Jesus way together. It's not as great a love story as the one that Jesus, of what he paid to love you and how long he's loved you and how much he want, is cheering for you and uh, wants us to, to realize that uh, we Bring glory to God when we follow him in obedience and do his work. And he's got us secure in his hands and he loves us and cares for us. And he wants us to grow up in our understanding and in our love and in our faith. And he wants us to be unified so that the world looks at us and says, wow, how they love each other. They must have something supernatural going on there. And it's a love story to top all love stories. Jesus prayed for you because he loves you. How do you respond? Love him back. Let's pray, shall we? Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for Valentine's Day where we can celebrate love. And when we look at the greatest example of love, it's you. Of coming to set aside whatever you needed to, to come live here. To get right down in the trenches with us. To share God's word with us. To give us hope and peace and light and love. May we be serious about our response to you and invite you into our hearts and into our lives and into leading us. May we follow you as individuals and as a church. May we someday hear you say, well done. You fulfilled everything I had for you, South Shores 2016. May we be up to the challenge because you are leading and guiding us. And I thank you that we get to be part of your love relationship. We get to be part of, of your family and that you love us. In Jesus' name. Amen.